Scripture text is taken from the book of Revelation, page 1921, and beginning at verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, the word of the Lord. May we pray. Lord, please help me to open the scriptures so that our intellects, our emotions, and our wills are stirred and quickened. Give us understanding of this most difficult book, that it may be practical for each of us as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have here in this chapter 8 something that's rather striking because we looked uh, over the past three Lord's Days what was going on in heaven. In the middle of the struggles in earth, the saints of God were praying in heaven. And as they prayed, their prayers had results. And you can, of course, remember that back in uh, Revelation chapter 6 and uh, in verse 9 where he says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Now, if you look over in chapter 8, uh, on page 1922, uh, we see something interesting in verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to altar, to offer with the prayers of all the saints. On the golden altar before the throne, the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, something is striking us at this point if we're really listening to what we're, we've heard read. In other words, this has already happened, and it resulted in judgment. And we saw last Lord's Day that judgment of God was a direct result of the prayers of God's people crying out to him for deliverance for their uh, kinfolk, spiritual kinfolk on earth. Now we see this again with with the seven trumpets. The seven seals lead us to the seven trumpets. And you see, this book really has seven major divisions. I came across a great quote that I think helps us to uh, see what's really going on in the book. And this is from a congregational minister who also ended up being a professor at Oxford University. The unity of John's book isn't chronological or numerical, he says, but it's artistic. It's like that of a musical composition 
theme, which I can't even read my own writing, which uh, unites, he says, and each variation, oh, each variation adds something new and significant of the whole composition. It recapitulates and develops themes already stated of what has come before. That's man's name is G.B. Caird. And uh, I'm struck with that. If you think of the book of Revelation like a symphony, which is the picture that Caird is, is saying it is, what you find if you listen to classical music, and I, to my, uh, anyhow, very different from being raised uh, as my friends were, I grew up in a home where classical music was played. And so I learned to appreciate it. And so you hear a theme, and that theme is repeated, and on and on and on as you listen. And you'll hear a fugue where there's this theme comes through, and then another one kind of competing with it, and so on. If you think of the book of Revelation that way, it's rather striking, because each of these visions, which is like a dream, each of these visions takes from the past and then recapitulates it and adds something to it. It's interesting that just this morning, as I was reading my English Bible, I came to the 27th chapter of Ezekiel, and it's God's judgment on the city of Tyre, which thought that she was extremely secure since she was on an island off the coast of what is now Lebanon. And uh, in her security, she had enormous pride. Nobody can touch me. But what's interesting is that those very themes that are mentioned in Ezekiel 37 show up in the book of Revelation, particularly in chapter 19. And it's, it's interesting that the book of Revelation really is the summary of the whole Bible because it takes themes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis and carries them forward uh, to the completion of time as we know it, as God sums up everything in Jesus Christ. So it's interesting as we read the book of Revelation, our minds are reminded of this. Oh, I remember that tune. Yeah, that's on a theme by Paganini, you know. And so, so you have these themes taken out of the Old Testament that are brought into the New Testament in the book of Revelation. And he takes those themes, and then each time that there's a new vision, because obviously the seven trumpets are not the same as the seven seals, though the seven seals lead to the seven trumpets. So again, if you think of it as a musical composition, with various themes taken from the Old Testament and from the teachings of Jesus himself. You see those things woven together. Again, we shouldn't try to think of it as, how do I know now what's going to happen on October the 4th around 12 to 2 o'clock in the afternoon? What is going to happen on Wednesday October the 4th, sometime between 12 and 2 in the afternoon. Anybody know? Pardon? Well, no, it's, there's going to be a massive test of the government's ability to communicate. And so, therefore, everything is going to die. 
electronically, supposedly, theoretically. And, and this is not a rumor. This is actually true. You can read it on the government site. So get ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn off my modem and all of our computers and phones until it passes and then turn them back on. <laughs> so again, it's, is that in the book of Revelation? That kind of approach of reading the book of Revelation as if it's about things that are happening right now is not correct, and yet it is correct. Because the themes of the book of Revelation are themes that, that resonate with you and me in the here and now, as they did to the audience to whom John wrote in the first century. And so the book is very much addressed to what was going on in the first century of Christianity, and it's very much related to things going on in our time, and that will be uh, happening in the future uh, as the Lord returns. So it's important to think of it again as a musical composition with themes taken from the whole of the Bible, including New Testament themes as Jesus taught, and weaving them together. And each time there's a new movement, a new vision, it recapitulates what was in the previous vision as we see here the prayers of the saints. The saints are praying in Revelation 6, the saints are praying in Revelation 8.3, and in, the, in the, both cases those prayers result in a judgment. And the judgment of the trumpets is more severe than the judgment of the, uh, of the seals. So we think about that. Now, I want you to think about, here we are in a concert, and... Uh, I, I will never forget, uh, uh, Alexandria used to sponsor an opera once a year. And I had a friend who was a medical doctor, uh, and he obviously that night was not medicated, and uh, he was in the balcony, and the, the opera was late in getting started. And all of a sudden, I hear out of the balcony, and I turned around, and he was a friend of mine. At one time, he was a deacon in the church I served, Anyhow, he's, he's shouting, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I thought, wow, Dr. So-and-so, I can't believe you're doing that. And I knew, well, uh, he was probably off his medication. And so, anyhow, I want you to think about a concert. And what do you read in Revelation 8, verses 1 and 2? What happens in the middle of this symphony? This symphony that we had playing through the letters to the seven churches, through the seven seals, now, if you look at Revelation 8 and verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Let that sink in. Silence in heaven for about half an hour. Let's say that we've been here enjoying, enjoying a, a, a symphonic concert this morning. And all of a sudden, there's a break. And we're all looking around and say, what's, what's going on? Why are we in this break? And it's not a short break. I mean, if it's in, if it's, if it's in a concert, this is incredibly long. Imagine that I suddenly walked out of the pulpit and I came back uh, shortly after noon, 30 minutes from now. Would you all be here? So again, let that sink in for a moment. 
There's silence in heaven. And I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that's very striking, and that is over at Revelation uh, chapter 10 and verse 4. Uh, and he says uh, there uh, on page 1924, Revelation 10, 4. And he says in verse 4, And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. There are things God doesn't want you to know. What if I knew yesterday when that tire was flat that today at 4.30 in the afternoon on Interstate 49, Sandy and I would be killed in a fiery crash? What if I knew that? That's possible, you know. It's important to remember this as we hold our hand there and go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29. There are things God doesn't want you to know. Because if you knew them, you would be disobedient to God. It was God's will that I come up here last night. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And the bottom of page 319. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. God doesn't want you to know the future. Now, he'll sometimes give you an inkling of the future, and we certainly should try to understand things. We should be sensitive to our bodies. If we've got a problem, not getting help, we should see a doctor and so on. But the idea that we can know the future in the way that a horoscope, horror scope, uh, is designed to enslave you and me and put us into bondage is very contrary to Scripture. It's like the lucky dip approach to Scripture. What's the lucky dip approach to Scripture? I was meeting one time with a man who had was an elder in the church in another city and was raised in Northern Ireland. And he said he and his friends used to get together and they would study the Bible and they would do lucky dip. And so what they would do is they would simply open the Bible to a place and the first thing that they, the eyes would light on, in this case it's 2 Chronicles 36.22, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah, and I'm supposed to get guidance from that? Open the Bible. Judas went and hanged himself. Open the Bible again. Go and do thou likewise. The Bible should be read, understanding that it's written so we can understand it, so that we can do what? So that we can put it into practice. And so he says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, there are things God doesn't want you to know or me to know. Because if we knew them, we'd disobey God now. If I knew I were going to have a massive heart attack at 12.15 today, if I knew that right here in the pulpit, that's how I'd like to go. <laughs> but anyhow, no, if, if I knew that, I wouldn't be obedient to God. 
God's called me to do certain things. He's called you to do certain things. He's shown you in His Word things to do. The Bible gives us guidance by its clear and explicit instruction. Does that mean that everything in the Bible is crystal clear? No, indeed. In fact, we're in the middle of the book that is the most difficult to understand of all the books of the Bible. But I submit to you that in this very book of Revelation, there is so much that we can glean that is practical to life. And so when he says there's silence in heaven, and when, he's, when he is told not to write what the seven thunders wrote, and when Paul is instructed in 2 Corinthians, when he gives that autobiographical sketch of how being, he was caught up to third heaven and heard things that it wasn't lawful him to tell, we need to understand. Don't go to a fortune teller. If you want to get your life in bondage demonically, go to a fortune teller. Have a palm reader read your palm. When you do that, you know what you're doing? You're bringing yourself under demonic bondage. God wants you to stick with the book. What does the Bible tell you to do? Things like the Ten Commandments. Things like the pattern of the life of Jesus. Things like Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Those are the core values of Christianity. So God doesn't want you to know everything. And so therefore there's silence in the middle of the concert, in the middle of the fugues that have been playing. The seven, the letters to the seven churches, the seven seals, and now the seven trumpets. There's silence in the middle of the concert because God wants you to be silent. Now that takes us to another thought, and that thought is expressed profoundly if we turn over to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk, and that is to the right of Daniel, to the right of Micah, and just before, Haggai, uh, just before Zephaniah, you will find Haggai. And that, uh, Habakkuk, I'm sorry. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20. And listen to what he says, page 1459, Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is a theme that is picked up in the book of Revelation with the silence for 30 minutes. What is the silence of the book of Revelation? It is the whole earth, including heaven, standing in awe of the majesty of God and of his impending judgments. That's what the silence before God is. Let all the earth be silent before him. Zechariah has that same thing a couple of books over. Zechariah chapter uh, 2 and verse 13, right after Haggai. And we read there, uh, page 1474, and he says, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. What does that say to you and me? On the Lord's day, the first of October. What it says to you and me is this. We're just too noisy. We live in a very noisy world. A very noisy world. I go and work out at a gym. And I observe people there. And they have on their headphones. And I've had to ask somebody a question. 
and they can't hear you because they got on the headphones. We live in a world that is inundated with noise. Inundated with noise. Constant noise. A cacophony of confusion. I think about going into that gym. He has five or six televisions on all the time. Now, he generally has them silenced. But he has them on. And I think about going into people's homes and the TV's on or music's on. In spite of these expensive hearing aids that they're supposed to filter out sound, when I have music in the background, I cannot hear. I've got to look and read people's lips. What is it really saying in Revelation chapter 8 that there is this silence before God? We're about to have the Lord's Supper. What is our approach to taking the Lord's Supper? What does he want from you and me? He wants you to realize that there is coming a day when God is going to judge the world and when the only hope that we ever have will be realized, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? I think that most people in this country don't really know what the gospel is. I think that most people think that the gospel is about trying to be a good person, being a good Christian. I think if you interview people, you discover that that's really what people think the gospel is. They'll give you an excuse for this, an excuse for that, and say, well, you know, I'm this, I'm that. I'll never forget a man whom I I knew to be something of an evangelist, he once, uh, we were at a right for life meeting in a medical doctor's home, not the same doctor that uh, cried out to, for the opera to begin. And he began to press this man to make a decision for Christ. And yet when that same preacher preached the funeral of a prominent political le- leader, what he gave his people was, basically, he was a good man. So what is the gospel? When you stand before Christ in glory, when you look back over your life, you're going to shut up. Why are you going to shut up? Well, turn with me to the very end of this book, Revelation chapter 20. And the end of chapter 20, this is what he says. In verse 11, page 1936, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Look at verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then back for a moment to 2 Corinthians as Paul evaluates his own life. And he says this, because I want to tie this all together. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, and he says, 
He says there, Sorry, I must have meant. Oh, no, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Aging brain. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul thinks about his life. And he says this. He says, page 1775. He said, In verse 2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I carry very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. The Greek word is day, because he's thinking of the day of the Lord. He said, indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will have receive his praise from God. Now, let's think about that for a moment. There's coming a day when everything you have ever done, everything you've ever said, Every thought that you have entertained, I'm not talking about temptations that pop into your head, I'm talking about the things that you entertained, like wanting to get revenge on somebody because they've hurt your feelings. Every thought you've entertained, ever entertained is going to be in living color with stereophonic sound. Have you thought about that? Do you understand that in the great symphony that is the book of Revelation, there comes this time of silence before God. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And you realize in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, our greatest generals, our greatest presidents, our greatest uh, political leaders, They're all going to hell. Each and every one. Not a single one. Harry Truman, along with Douglas MacArthur. Roosevelt, along with the man he feared the most, Huey Long. King George III, along with George Washington. There are no exceptions! Except one. And what is that exception? The the book of life of the Lamb. Is your name in the book of life? Can you know for sure it is? You can know for sure. How can you know for sure that your name is in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world? Here's how you can know. You can know because every single person who has ever come to this point in this life not talking about in the world to come when we stand before uh, God's great white throne and the books are open and every fact of our lives, things that we are humiliated about, things we would never tell anybody about. I'm talking about in the here and now. What is the greatest gift that God can give you on October the 1st, 2023? It is to stand in silence before God and to be able to look forward into the future to the opening of the books 
and this shameful thing, and this awful thing, this terrible thing that you've done, that you've said, that you've thought and entertained and enjoyed rolling around in your memory. Every single one of those things that you're going to have to face. If you can face it here and now, in this place, this morning, and you can say, oh God, I dread the judgment day, but I thank you there is one who died in my place, who took my guilt, who took my shame on himself, who paid the penalty of my sins, who shed his precious blood, that I will come through the judgment safe and sound and secure because his blood has purchased a multitude from the mass of humankind that no one can number. On that day, may God grant to you and to me that we will already have had our day of judgment. You can have your day of judgment today, here and now, on Robinson Road in Texarkana, Texas. You can have that judgment day. I implore you, have that judgment day now. Use the Lord's Supper as a means of, pre- of preparing you to face that dreadful day! For it is a dreadful day. Because all of the people of the earth, the great men, those we've admired the most, all of them will be cast into the lake of fire. Do I believe in a literal hell? I do. I'll tell you a hell that you know on this earth. It is when your conscience begins to prick you, and you begin to fear, and you begin to face up to the things that you've had to deal with. You face your conscience. You face your shame. That's a foretaste of hell. But oh, how sweet to face yourself for who you really are, knowing that all those things will one day be known to everybody. Why do you think that Jesus wipes away every tear, which we closed with last Lord's Day? That nail-pierced hand wiping away every tear. Because... There isn't going to be a single solitary soul there that day that isn't going to be weeping over his or her own sins. The person you admire the most, you'd be amazed. You would be amazed. You would be amazed. One of the sad things of being a pastor for over 50 years is the secrets that I have learned about people over the years. Terrible secrets, terrible secrets, terrible secrets, terrible secrets. And to bear those things is a horrible burden. To know the secrets of people is a horrible thing. To be praying for somebody and then God reveals to you as you're praying for that person what's actually in their mind, that their greatest fear is this. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to be afraid. Be silent before God now and examine your own heart as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. And if you become convicted of some terrible thing in your life, know this, that on October the 1st, 2023, you can deal with it so that you don't have to deal with it on... um, November the 13th, 2025, when the Lord returns. That's the kind of speculation God doesn't want us to do. 
There's coming a day. Deal with it now. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. May we pray. Lord, help us in the busyness of life, in the cacophony of confusion that dominates the lives of most of us, always television on, always music playing, always this, always that. Lord, to be still and to know that you are God. And in the middle of this great symphony of victory in Jesus that is accompanied by terrible judgments on this earth as one feud goes against another, give us now to be silent before you and prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. For Jesus' sake, amen.